hope you guys are enjoying my nice little background. Had a service call that ran late, and I'm sitting in Central Park doing this call, kind of re relaxing, enjoying a gorgeous day here in New York. Well, just if we start telling you behind you, behind you, behind you, and you start running. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the warning. Thank you. We got your six. <laughs> On this show, we're going to have uh, three wonderful guests talking about a bunch of stories. Three of them to choose from are going to be Brinks Home Security and their bankruptcy notification, a tech show for potential consumers uh, in Orange County, California, and one you probably shouldn't miss, employee on-the-job marijuana usage. Be sure to follow us on episode 381 here on ResiWeek. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 381, Half-Baked AV. This is Resi Week, your guide to all things AV in the residential space. As you can tell, I am neither Tim Albright nor Matt Scott here. It's Uncle Richie, Rich Fergosa. I am pitching in for Matt today, seeing as he is taking the day off for some obscure Canadian holiday. So, of course, the Americans and me in particular, immigrants, we get the job done. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Richie here. Um, we've got a couple of stories here, and uh, I am fortunate to have three guests. Uh, I've got an old friend here, a recent friend that I've made during the course of interviewing them, and a brand new friend. So I'm going to start with an old friend who I haven't seen in a while. Mark Feinberg is here. Mark is the CEO of Home Theater Advisors. Mark, it's good to see you, brother. Hey, good to see you, Richie. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying my nice little background. Had a service call that ran late, and I'm sitting in Central Park doing this call, kind of re relaxing, enjoying a gorgeous day here in New York. Next on the list is somebody who I've had the pleasure of seeing on two different continents. Um, I've had a chance to interview him both at Infocom and at ISE. I am speaking to Frank Santos, who is the Director of Training at Vanco International. Frank, it's good to see you. Likewise, good to see you and uh, happy to be here. Good to see you in virtually again. I'm, uh, exactly. Here we go. Back to screens and windows on the screen again. So coming in, I guess, from, from, from warm Chicago areas, you've told me. It's getting warmer. We're finally in the 80s. Yep. And brand new and taking my first chance to interview, but I've heard many things about him. And we'll talk a little bit about his company and what he does uh, a little bit further on. But I'd like to introduce Dave Chase, who is the uh, president of Cogent 360. And we'll talk a little bit about Cogent in a sec. But Dave, it's good to have you on, sh on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Rich. Great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. All right. You're in sunny Pennsylvania. I'm not in Central Park, but... You know, there are trees outside my window, so that sort of counts. Well, we've got all the time zones covered then, it looks like, so we're looking good. Uh, we're going to get straight into it. Um, I, potentially, this is a story that we'll be hearing more about in the future, or maybe it winds up being a one-off, but our first story comes to us from CE Pro. Brinks Home Security Parent Monotronics Files for Bankruptcy. Uh, beginning of the story tells us Monotronics International files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy for approximately $500 million in debt. Uh, it is the company's second restructuring since 2019. So um, I'd say let's go ahead. Dave, I'm just going to kick it to you. Is, is this a canary in a coal mine? Is this something that we should be concerned about in the CEI space? Is 
as the economy is potentially shifting that we should be more aware of in terms of the dealers and manufacturers and, and even consumers? Well, yeah, it's obviously anytime you have a well-known established company that's, you know, in big trouble, it's, you know, it's always a big warning sign. And, you know, now I think the, the, the tenor among the public is, is that of always, you know, suspicion and caution. And you hear about all these new things going on and there's trepidation out there. And how could this potentially impact, you know, the rest of the industry? Will it be just a one-off? Will it be a ripple effect? Much like, you know, when the bank went under out there in San Francisco a while back, you know, was that a, you know, a bellwether of what's to come? Um, so I think people are going to be watching very carefully what goes, what happens from here. Um, I think the other guys can speak even more to how that can impact the technology side of systems that have already been installed and, and so on. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're going to talk later on, I think, as far as the connection between the industry and the consumer and how much you know, the consumer really is, is plugged into the industry. Um, I wouldn't worry tremendously right off the bat, but if it becomes a trend, I think there's a lot to be concerned about there. So Frank, coming from the manufacturer side, and even though you're on the training side, but from the manufacturer side, does news like this um, worry in terms of how consumer confidence would be seen towards manufacturers? Because again, they're, they're, this is not necessarily the AV side of what you do, but it is affiliated in some sense. And so does that nervousness... Is that something that manufacturers take a look at at that point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's um, you're right in terms of AV and security. It's kind of meshing together. It's meshing together over the past couple of years or so. So news like this, absolutely, it's a concern. Um, but you know, you, you got to take this with a grain of salt because it is uh, the second time, obviously, this company is doing this. So you've got to take a look at their history, right? But you know, as as Dave said. Yes, it's it, it's it's a concern. Obviously, uh, industry wide, uh, everyone's talking about the interest rates being high, so that's a concern. And and the concern is that the economy is is going to be going uh, lower than it is now, right? It's going to keep on decreasing, if you will. So, on a manufacturing standpoint, um, obviously, our product development director could answer that better than I. But I'm I'm certainly seeing it on our side. Um, I couldn't tell you from the shows though. Uh, the limited number of shows that I've been to. Uh, we thought it would be a slower outcome in terms of the audience coming out. And that's been the opposite in my limited shows that I've attended this year. So, uh, but to answer your question, absolutely, it, it is a concern. So I'm going to read a little snippet from here before I get to, to you, Mark, just so you get an idea. But Monotronics, which monitors more than 800,000 alarm accounts, has received for approximately $387 in new money financing during Chapter 11 cases from existing lenders, including $90 million. Um, they are basically looking to refund the people who were part of the first version are back in on the second version. And again, you know, obviously, Mark, your company, Home Theater Advisors, you're not a security company, but you're in a lot of installations where obviously a security system is going to be involved. How do you necessarily, as your company, deal with, say, it is one of the 800,000 uh, accounts that has been affected by this. And you're coming in as the technology person. Um, you're not necessarily going to be beholden to the security side of things. But when, uh, you know, end users start asking you questions, how do you deal with that from, from the CEI, the CI side? Because this is something dealers are going to wonder going, Hey, what do I say when a situation like this comes up? Right. And for me, it's honestly, you know, not the security, not, the, not this particular company you know i haven't even come across um, them in the past it's more the concern of if if this starts to 
resonate throughout the industry and customers start to ask the question, well, I just saw this company is going bankrupt. What does that mean for all the products you're, you're installing? What's ha- what about, you know, the, I haven't heard of snap AV. I haven't heard of Sonance myself. Like these seem like small companies to me. What, what happens if they fail? Um, so it really raises that red flag to them of, you know, there's, there's, a, the, there's possibility of the, the product becoming obsolete faster than you would normally expect if the company fails and you're relying on their servers and their um, backbone for things to operate properly. Um, and I mean, I have to be honest, I say that's always a risk. One of the things that I am going to do, because again, like I said, when, you know, this, this is a story, hopefully that we won't be hearing about for the third time, um, we're going to jump into the next part. So this is an interesting one. Uh, I know that we're going to have quite a few opinions <laughs> about how this comes together. So this next story comes to us from Residential Systems, titled, A Tech Show for, t- for Potential Clients. Um, Mark Sikchowski, the man behind the industry's technology and business summits, is looking to introduce a consumer-facing event for the CI market. Uh, this new event is going to be called Home Tech Expo, planned uh, in fall of 2024 in Orange County, California, where, quote, he looks to shine a spotlight on the industry and educates consumers not only on what they do, but how they can be a part of it. So, um, you know, a big part about Mark is that he's been in the channel for a while. We know that uh, he was the one who uh, started out with Sonance, um, had a rep firm, but was the creator of the Technology and Business Summits, which was later sold to Cedia in 2018. And so that I do know that a couple of, of uh, vendors and CIP dealers and, and people have attended these summits. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. Dave, a, 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 a basically a trade show. Are we looking at kind of like the county fair pavilion where uh, people come in and, and take a look at, uh, you know, model railroads and then get a hot tub and then they, they uh, meet CI dealers? I hope it's a little bit more evolved than that, but uh, I got to tell you, I applaud the idea. I think it's terrific. Um, I'm hoping it's, you know, it's executed at a very high level. I think there is absolutely a disconnect between the consumer and the industry as far as does the average homeowner know what is actually possible in their home? I think you've got a bunch of houses out there who've got, you know, nine different smart devices in their house. I've got Alexa, but I may have a doorbell. I may have a security camera. They're all hooked up to different clouds or all these different things. And, you know, if they can actually really be exposed to what's possible in their home and, and, and how it can all be done, uh, not only effectively, but cost efficiently and get a, you know, a real sense of a customer journey and learn what can happen in their home. Much like if you go to a high-end home show, a really well-done home show, they're packed with people because people love spending money on their homes. And this is a part of, of the home industry that I think has been really, really underserved. Uh, that, you know, you go to Cedia and, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, close community. Everyone knows each other and they're excited about the new developments and so on. But how well are we really communicating that to the homeowners? And once the homeowners can see firsthand what's possible, I think it's a ter- terrific potential. I'm excited about the idea. Well, I'm going to take a second. I had mentioned earlier that a little bit about your company because you've got, you know, a, you're you're kind of positioned in in the market, uh, you know, in, in an interesting side between kind of the dealers and the front end side and manufacturers and and everything else. And part of the services you offer is trade show work and and booth design. To an extent, yeah, we like we do a lot of work in the virtual space. We can create, you know, extremely realistic virtual spaces where 
manufacturers can showcase all the different products and people can move around in what looks like a, a completely real 360 degree environment, but click and learn about the products and so on. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the founding principle at the, at the heart of it all is education. And how do we, how do we educate our audience? In this case, consumers, ideally, the people who ultimately spend the money. How do we educate them about what's possible in their home? And while we can do it, you know, we focus on the virtual side, doing all different virtual smart homes and expo booths and things. You know, here's a live event that I think could, you know, go a long way to providing you know, a tremendous service to the community and really help our industry because people are going to start realizing, oh, I didn't know we could do this. I didn't know this was possible. I'd never thought of that. And all the things that, you know, really high quality integrators are trying to do every time they meet with a potential client. You know, let me give you a real customer journey. Let me expose you to what's possible in your home. And when they see that, suddenly, you know, the whole picture of what they want to do changes dramatically in some cases. Well, let's talk about a little bit about this and that, you know, if you were to advise dealers or manufacturers who are going to be, uh, uh, you know, attending this. So, you know, let me just kind of give you the parameters of what they're they're talking about. So when they're talking about building the expo, they are going to try to build it similar to what they've got at the summits in the past, where there'll be an exhibit floor with 10 by 10, 10 by 20, 10 by 30, 10 by 40, and 20 by 20 boots. Um, and they're kind of doing an all-in, where instead of, you know, traditional trade show view, where you kind of get your floor space, uh, and then you kind of figure it out as you go, um, they're looking at providing kind of an all-in package to begin with, where, you know, they get their drapes, they get basic Wi-Fi, they, you know, they're, they're basically establishing it so that you can walk in and do your thing. What would your advice be for, say, if it was a dealer who wanted to go ahead and show us where is in Orange County or a manufacturer, what would you advise them to do with that space for that impact to the end user? Because again, keep in mind, this is an end user facing show right. as opposed to a CI dealer facing show. The singular piece of advice I would provide is make it, don't make it about the product, make it about the experience your products provide. You know, it's not a it's not a business to business trade show where if you go to Cedia, you're learning all about Model X and Model Y and Model Z and the differences and so on. The the consumer is not so much concerned about that. It's show them what you can do. If you have this, you know, let's say a lighting control system, right, or a whole house automation system. What types of conveniences and peace of mind and security uh, elements does this bring to the table? What you know, what can this? How can this enhance your life? Not about the specifics of the box that makes it work. So, you know, people want to think about when they go home and they think about what they learned, you want to you know, have them seeing pictures in their mind of like incredible lighting and, you know, and, and security and shades and how it enhances the environment, how I can feel more secure in my home and so on. Not about model X, Y, Z. That's great info. Frank, I'm going to kick it to you from the manufacturer side. Uh, as the director of training. You've got one job, which is to work with dealers to best how to showcase a product, in this case, you know, Vanco product. But this is obviously going to be kind of near and dear to your heart where this is, uh, you know, obviously a trade show to be able to, for any manufacturer, to show off what they're capable of. But this is a huge twist because, again, Infocom, Cedia, the Trade Summits, uh, ISE, those are not consumer shows. Those are, right, down and dirty, technical People come in, they're looking at the cut sheets, they're going to want to talk to engineers, they want to find out how the sausage is made. That is a completely different experience than a consumer-facing show. How does a manufacturer, if they're going to get involved, how do they adjust their message in order to make it 
uh, an impact because again, it's, it's, you know, from an industry standpoint, we all know who Vanco is, you know, in the CI market and the commercial market, but say a consumer who it just, you know, again, they, they might know, you know, something they've seen on TV ad, but they may not have heard of Vanco. How, how are you going to raise, how would a manufacturer raise that kind of awareness and, and, and separate themselves? Uh, I think a couple of things, um, obviously with consumers, um, you know, there's two things that you can do. Number one, you can make it stupid, simple, and you need to. Um, obviously, you know, at these CDS shows, at these Infocom shows, we're dealing with integrators, right? So we've got to be very technical. We've got to show them specifications. Obviously, definitely about the experience, but you got to make it really simple for an end user and showcase how easy it is to integrate this technology into their own home, uh, how they can experience it, right? Um, the other thing is, in a booth like that, in my opinion, less is more. So uh, Dave is absolutely right. Uh, you don't want to show them black boxes on a shelf, you want to you want to put something on the wall that's going to grab their attention. Um, so you got to work with the technology that you have right now with us. We have a plethora of products uh, encompassing six different brands. So would I show them batteries or, you know, surge protectors? Absolutely not. A black box? Absolutely not. Something like our video bar for a conference room? Sure, maybe. Absolutely. Uh, cables, absolutely not. So you've got to work with technology that's going to come and grab their attention right off the bat. And again, less is more. I would put one product uh, on a wall that's going to grab their attention as they come in. All right. An interesting part uh, about this show, and and one of the things that I, I noticed is that uh, this is being positioned not only as a manufacturer show, but also dealers as well. He He, he is looking to invite um, regional CI companies to be able to uh, present themselves and their skill sets. So now again, this is you know potentially the first one, but if it moves and this is on the West Coast in, in Orange County, but say it does take off, you know, and again in the same way that the the technology summits became regional events, it's not you know out of out of question for this to become a uh, you know an event on the East Coast, an event somewhere in the Midwest. Um, Coming from your view, Mark, like as a dealer, if you were presented with an opportunity in your area to have a to attend and, and present at a at a um, consumer facing show, how would you do it? Or if dealers are looking to go into the in in to this event, what would your advice be? How you know what would you see as something that would be useful to make the most out of this show? I mean, I think it's similar to Frank and Dave said. I mean, it's got to be something attention grabbing. It's got to be more like a vignette style than a wall of product you know they don't need to see a five inch a six and a half inch and an eight inch speaker they need to see either like see a kitchen what would that look like or what does a media room look like something like little vignettes i think is a great way to do it um we are talking homeowners and end users so you got to have some swag for them to take it's got to be some you know there's got to be some branded goods there for them to have everybody wants a little bit of swag when they go to these trade shows um but i think yeah i think it's got to be about the experience maybe something eye-catching and grabbing i mean i would be concerned you know, CD can get loud with everyone competing on the volume of their systems. I would be a little concerned that could happen here as well. Everyone's trying to crank it up to attract people, but that, I would be surprised if that's what happens. Everyone's gonna, you know, turn it up to turn it up to eleven to try and get people's attention playing some music. Well, that's it. it, it I guess the question too is: Do we think that this is a direction that we should be going more towards? Um, you know, the 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 CI market is obviously changing. Um, you're seeing more and more, you know, people are building experience centers. They're getting away from the traditional, you know, retail shopping experiences. We're seeing brick and mortars are, you know, from the larger manufacturers are, uh, you know, reducing 
their floor print space. And, and you're seeing less electronics and more white goods or, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting way wave of where the industry is going. Dave, do you see this as something that's going to continue? Do you see that this might be a one-off? Uh, you know, what do you feel would be, you know, is this something that makes sense for the industry? Is this something that everybody should be jumping onto or, you know, do you double down with, you know, staying with CDI and focusing on your experience centers or anything else. You know, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting crossroads, you know, because you are changing your message significantly with the trade show like this. Well, but I, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think you have CDI, which serves the B2B, you know, requirements where, okay, as a dealer, I need to know what the new products are. I need to know what the details are, what I could, uh, and what I will be presenting to my customers going forward. You know, the consumer show, I'd be really interested to see, you know, what happens in the wake of this show. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to see it happen on, on, a, on a much wider basis. Um, you know, when the consumers are educated, that, I think that's what's, what's lacking right now is that we have an awful lot of industry education. But how, how great a job are we doing at educating the consumer about what they can do and, and what the possibilities are? And so, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, too, like there's, you always see these local home shows popping up everywhere around every community. I wonder, uh, and I haven't been to one in a while, how many of the local integrators actually are exhibiting at their local home show? Because just like looking for a new patio or a new, you know, a, a, a new shower, um, well, what about music around the home? What about lighting? What about these things? And if I saw it, maybe I hadn't considered it when I first went to the show, but I saw this booth. And this guy had this great demo and he told me all these different things I could do. And now I'm really excited about that. Um, and so I, I just think it's you. the two serve two different needs, but can work very well in harmony. And if nothing else, maybe the at Cedia, if, if, if you expand this consumer experience and it takes hold, like I hope it will, maybe dealers will, will take more from that and understand better perhaps how to present what they do to consumers more effectively. You know, that's because all we're doing is we're just trying to enlighten um, the consumer marketplace out there about what's great about the stuff that we sell and why they should want it. Uh, and so I would think that, you know, if this thing really takes hold, it's, it's going to do nothing but help the industry largely in a, in a big way. I think I'm just going to go ahead and leave it on that part for this story. And uh, that's actually some pretty insightful information. Um, moving on, this was uh, one that uh, kind of came hot off the presses uh, that caught our eye and, and is, I don't know if it's a forbidden topic. Uh, I, I think it's a topic that just doesn't get brought up a lot. Um, we know that it is part of, uh, you know, everybody's uh, personal, not everybody's, but it, some people's personal pursuits. But this comes to us from CE Pro um, well, from May 19th and a pretty interesting headline. Employee on the job marijuana usage reaches 25-year highs. 7.3% of employers, of employees injured on the job were high on marijuana at the time, a 25-year high, while 4.6% of workers are commonly high. So, um, you know, this is something that is becoming more of a uh, story in that you do have um, employers, 
uh, CI dealers, you have to be in residences or in businesses or in schools or uh, in in uh, you know, corporate situations where you have phys- people who are physically on site, um, and there are uh, you know workplace. Uh, norms, but also like they talk about workplace injuries and and exposure. Um, uh, how do we deal with something like this in terms of addressing it with your staff um, and addressing the fact that as marijuana usage, uh, although on a federal level, isn't completely legal on a state by state basis, they've gone from medical to recreational use. Um, how do you have that conversation? How do you deal with um, kind of this brand new uh, option of how free time is spent and what you can and cannot bring to the workspace, Mark, as as a as an integrator and somebody who, like you said, you're out on a service call. How do you deal with this? How do you bring up this conversation? You know, honestly, at this point, it's not that different than, the, than alcohol. I mean, alcohol is legal. Marijuana is legal. There really is sort of no difference. If you wouldn't come to a job site drunk, you shouldn't come to a job site high. Um, now, unfortunately, I think there's a still a different mentality around it somewhat, you know, even for example, in New York, you can, you can walk down the street and smoke a joint and be, and be smoking in public, but you can't be drinking in public. So, you know, it seems like almost pot's getting even more accepted to some extent. Um, but that discussion has to be had with your employees that listen, guys, this is, it, it's mind altering substance. It's no different than drinking. If you, I, I wouldn't accept it if you came here. You know, reeking of beer. I won't accept it if you come here reeking, reeking a pot or having had a gummy or whatever. It's it's just going to be the way it is. I mean, it's it's. I I don't see much of a difference in the way you approach the two. So, um, Frank, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on over to you. Uh, you know, again, as a manufacturer, you know, you you guys aren't necessarily going to be be in there, but you know how. How do the conversations happen in terms of making sure that obviously the first thing is is workplace safety, um, you know, but the other thing is, is that the trending and Mark brought up a great point, right? The, the usage and the, the taboo of usage has changed. Um, is it just a matter of education and just kind of following the same rules with any other uh, post work activity um, that you treat it as, you know, again, when you're in the workspace, safety is the first paramount concern. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, first thing is, uh, unfortunately, I'm not surprised by the headline, obviously. Uh, second thing, Mark hit it right on the head. Uh, you treat it just like alcohol. That, that's exactly what I would have said. Uh, you follow the same guidelines. Um, obviously, in our warehouse back over here, we've got a ton of people back there in the warehouse and they're driving forklifts. Uh, same deal. You don't want a person who is drunk, obviously, on alcohol, and you don't want a person who's high on marijuana, right? Because that could affect their skills to obviously drive that forklift, which raises a major concern. So I think you put that hand in hand. Obviously, there's a fine line between recreational and medicinal. And I understand that there's people out there who need marijuana to actually function normally. Uh, in fact, I've got a few friends who, who unfortunately do, and it's prescribed. So uh, again, there is there is a fine line. Obviously, it, it is different than alcohol, but I think you treat the same in terms of the conversations and the guidelines. Uh, you know, it's the same. You, you, you don't use it uh, while under uh, work uh, uh, work conditions, right? Because it can be a hazard. Oh, that is actually a pretty astute, you know, again, I, I, I'm based in California on the West Coast, right? So I'm just saying, let them smoke, let them all smoke. You're all good, right? <laughs> if we're all mellow, we're all happy to go. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, but Dave, you know, let's, again, you're, you're in a different segment. Um, do, I, I guess the, the biggest question is, I mean, are we, 
making sure that we're treating alcohol the same as marijuana usage? Is that something that is, you know, we treat it differently? Or is that something that if there is an infraction that becomes an issue? Or do we just say, hey, look, you know, what you do in your off time is your off time, just make sure you don't bring it to work, you know, and, you know, it's, it's one of those conversations that you don't think that you should have. But sometimes you have to kind of lay it out and have a process in place so that it is dealt with before it becomes an issue. And, and, and again, like you said, it's, it's, it is a, a recreational um, uh, use in some states um, as long as you're in. Again, this comes down to drug testing. You know, this brings up the bigger question of, you know, how do you deal with drug testing? Because are you dealing with it if it's a workplace incident? Are you dealing with it if it's a condition to employment or not being employed? Um, that this is a completely different rule where, you know, drug use rule was a whole lot different than alcohol use rule, where if you had a couple of glasses of wine after work, you're not going to take a breathalyzer test, um, you know, two hours later as you're conditioned for working. But the way the testing occurs in some workplaces, although it is either medically prescribed or it is recreationally used, um, are we opening up a can of worms here? Look, as far as the legal side and the testing and all that, I yeah, I can't speak too much to the, the whole legal aspect of it. What I would say, I mean, I run a business as well, and it's not one of those cases where we're out doing installations. It's a different kind of business. However, you know, there, there's a con- there's two things I would keep in mind. Number one, anytime you're having a conversation like that with an employee, you know, make, make sure they're aware, like, this is, this is in no way, shape, or form a judgment of you. If you're somebody who, who wants to get high, Look, that's you're fully entitled. If it's legal in the state, that's I'm not passing judgment on you whatsoever. What I'm saying is the owner or the guy who runs this business, and when you are on the job, you are representing my company. You're a representative of this firm, and so as you know, in that role, I have certain requirements. And if you don't feel comfortable meeting those requirements, that's your prerogative. But I don't need to employ you if that's the case. Uh, and so it's just it's the rules of the game, and and you can equate it to you know any one of a number of you know, analogous situations, whether it's a uniform you have to wear in certain jobs or anything else. Like, listen, this is a requirement of the job. And I'm not passing judgment on you if you like to get high or don't. It's just that for a number of reasons, it's not permitted when you're on the job with my company. And either you can accept that or not. Simple as that. Well, I think we will probably have more conversations uh, coming up about something like this. I don't think we're going to see less of this conversation as potentially more states bring it along because it's, uh, you know, we've got the federal side and then we've got the state by state side. And, and uh, you know, it is interesting because, like you said, it, it's you are representing the company. Uh, Mark, do you have any final thoughts on this one? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's just going to be it's, it's, it's not we're not done with this yet. Um, for some reason, I feel like there's just a different perspective. I, you know, like no one would, no one would dream. Very few people dream of showing up to work drunk. For some reason, I feel like a lot of people, it's it's more okay to show up high, and I don't know why. Well, I guess maybe we'll have that as part of the education track. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, there we go. A new C- a new CD class. How to deal how to deal with marijuana. You know, step one, don't show up high, right? So <laughs> definitely not the last we've heard of it. I mean, it uh, they're popping up all over the place. Uh, we just had one open up right by the house, and they're working on another one even closer by the house. So you're almost having the Starbucks effect with these dispensaries, where it's almost at each corner. So yeah, absolutely, we're, we're going to have this discussion. And, and, and I'm going to bring up actually just one thing that caught up because generationally speaking, you know, we have a brand new workforce that's coming in. 
right? You know, we've we've got we're past the millennials and the Gen Z, and and marijuana usage for the generation is treated far differently than alcohol, honestly, in terms of of the approach to it and and the mood about it. Are we going to see a shift in terms of employees coming in who have a completely different viewpoint of that? I mean, is is that something that we may have to deal with kind of in terms of relating to new employees, you know, in terms of policy making? Is is that something that we're concerned about in terms of even alienating a workforce? I think I think it's certainly going to be a, a situation that employers are going to have to deal with. You know, the the newer generation coming in, you know, coming out of school or yeah, the younger folks who are, this is maybe their first real deal job, so to speak. I mean, I, I've dealt with that in years past. A company that I used to work for, I was a director of product training. It was a big, you know, nationwide retail outfit. And we'd have folks coming in for basic training, which was a multi-week process. So they'd be coming and staying in a hotel for weeks at a time. And for many of them, it was the first time, you know, in, in this type of a situation. We'd have to give them really you know, hard conversations and lay out the rules. Like this is what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And it's amazing the stuff we could go on and on about the stories of different trainees and what they would do during the time they're at the hotel. Just because they're young and a lot of them just, you know, they weren't really grown up yet. Uh, Well, yeah. And if you think about a trade show, right? If you go to trade shows, after parties for trade shows or, you know, when the show floor closes, what do they have? They have an open bar. Not even after the show, on the show floor. You know, is that something that, you know, again, that kind of thinking forward as it becomes, you know, part of the fabric, you know, of of how people unwind, is that something that we're going to have to be concerned with, um, you know, with, you know, not that I plan on it showing up anytime soon that you'll have a bud tender next to your bartender, but, you know, is, is that something that, you know, we might see happening as a shift when how people are spending their, their downtime at industry events? I, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's a, it's a bit far-fetched right now to think about, you know, people uh, smoking on a trade show floor, because I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, you know, the whole thing about smoking is secondhand smoke and all that. I'm not going to get secondhand beer unless I steal somebody's. Um, and so I, I don't think that's going to be the, the case anytime soon. But as far as, you know, how far people take this and, you know, doing it on the job and so on, I don't know. I, I just think it's a matter, a large extent of common sense. And that's, I think, as you get older, that's what you get better and better at is understanding common sense. And so the younger, the younger folks often, it takes them a while to really grasp, you know, the appropriate behavior sometimes. It's not just the young folks. I don't mean to, you know, to stigmatize them, but uh, listen, the more you're in a professional environment, the more I think you're going to understand common sense and what's right and what's, you know, kind of outside the boundaries. Well, Frank, I'm not going to paint you in a corner. I'm just going to let you nod sagely on on the entire <laughs> process, <laughs> unless there's something you want to go ahead and provide. <laughs> you know, in terms of marijuana use and, and shows now, and uh, I think it's occurring now unofficially already. Um, you know, you, you hear stories, you, you, you see people, you can tell. Uh, even on show floors, I've talked to dealers where I'm like, okay, you, you kind of smell of it and you, you can tell. And it's that for me, I don't pass judgment on them. I mean, it's, you know, whether they, they're, again, they're taking it recreationally or medicinally. 
it's uh, some people, you know, some people do it, and uh, I don't pass judgment on it. But it is it is happening uh, on trade show floors at events unofficially. That's for sure. I was at an event several years ago when it was recently legalized for recreational use, and sure enough, there was a, you know a a, uh, a manufacturer who had said, "Hey, you know, come on, everybody, come on out." You know, it was part of the celebration. Yeah. And I was going to say the same thing. Like I saw that in Denver. I saw a lot of it off-site, and then in San Diego, I saw a lot of it off-site at, at, at those Cedia cities. It's you know, and those were the only places it was mm-hmm. really legal back then. Now it's you know, what is it? It's almost half. It's more than a third of the states, I think, it's legalized. So um, you know, you're going to see it a lot, and whether it's on the show floor or after the show, it's going to be there. Well, I think it will be conversations that will continue to come up more. Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh... I think definitely a bit of a lightning rod of a conversation because it is, it's, it's kind of that tweener phase. And so um, I, I, I do think that we will be having more conversations about this in the future. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, spending your time with us today. We really appreciate all of your comments. I'm going to go ahead and go around the horn. Uh, Frank, if they want to find out uh, more information or get in touch with you um, or find out more about Vanco International, how can they get in contact with you or find out more about Vanco? Best way is the website is vanco1.com. And my email address is frankas at vanco1.com. That's the best way to reach the company and myself. Feel free to reach out to me for any questions, any help that you need uh, AV-wise. Fantastic. Dave, thanks for ha- uh, thanks for being on. Appreciate all of your insight there. Um, if people want to find out more about Cogent360, how can they find you on the socials or your company? Where's the best place to find information uh, about you and Cogent360? Uh, you can certainly check out the websites, uh, Cogent, C-O-G-E-N-T, 360.com. Um, also, I'm on LinkedIn and you know, the other social platforms. Uh, you can reach me at dchase, which is D-C-H-A-C-E, just to be difficult. It's Chase with a C. So D-C-H-A-C-E at Cogent360.com. And again, we, we do all kinds of training design and immersive and virtual environments uh, virtual experience uh, for a lot of the manufacturers. And we also have some stuff we do for dealers as well. So feel free to reach out. Perfect. Thanks, Dave. Well, Mark, thanks for being our correspondent in the field, uh, you know, and bringing us the wonderful outdoor and nature sounds during the interview. Uh, if they want to find out more about home theater advisors or you in general, how can we find out more about both? Uh, best about home theater advisors is hometheateradvisors.com or HT advisors or home theater advisors across the socials. Um, and for me, it's Mark at HomeTheaterAdvisors.com or um, at Mark Feinberg across most of my socials. Fantastic. Well, three very interesting uh, views. And gentlemen, uh, thanks for making my job easy while I fit in for Matt. Um, as far as Uncle Richie, hopefully the best place that you can find uh, me would be on our suite of shows and the verticals that we cover here on Aviation.tv. Um, but if not... Uh, you can obviously find me on the socials as well at Art Fragosa on Twitter or FragosaDesign.com um, is the website for the company. Hopefully, you'll also find me on uh, my our show with my partner, Steve Greenblatt, where we talk about the control side and automation side of the uh, industry, where a state of control is where you can find us there. But that's all we have for us today. Um, and so we're going to head on out. This is Uncle Richie, Rich Fragosa, for Resi Week for Aviation.tv. 